This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee on day seven of the 60-day legislative session. At the end of week one, the House passed two COVID bills. One targets scammers. The other offers businesses protection from COVID liability lawsuits. We're trying to get Florida back on our feet. And in order to do that, we need businesses to thrive. If you're wondering why the House Speaker sounds like he's in the Mariana Caverns, it's because of the acoustics on the fourth floor rotunda of the state capitol. Those marble walls do some rather interesting things to audio. It's now week number two of the session, and lawmakers will be dealing with a post-mortem of the state's failed unemployment system, bills to limit voting by mail, guns at churches, and efforts to limit the strength of medical marijuana, to name just a few. The governor hints he'll be lowering the age limit for a COVID shot this week. His seniors' first policy limits vaccinations to people 65 and older, but Ron DeSantis says they're going to start rolling back the age. I haven't got that exact date because it's dependent on the vaccine supply and it's dependent on making sure we're getting shots in the arms for seniors. But the next change is going to be lowering the age from 65 down to either 60 or 55. Most likely we'll do 60 and then we'll do the next week 55. So stay tuned. That announcement will be coming relatively soon. When the Miami Herald reported last week that a wealthy enclave in the Keys received thousands of doses of vaccine in January when almost no one else was getting shots, the governor tried to defend himself by saying it was not a state site. That may be true, but officials at Baptist Health Systems and the Monroe County Commission say the pod was authorized by the state and they were ordered to provide vaccine for the Ocean Reef Club. The governor was in Winter Haven Friday for the opening of a special vaccination site for sworn law enforcement officers over the age of 50. And Polk County Sheriff Grady Judd had a message for the anti-vaxxers. I've heard the stories and I have read the conspiracy theorists. You know, I've, I've seen everything. We don't know the end results. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? In 10 years, will my ears fall off? Well, quite frankly, I'd rather be alive in 10 years with no ears than dead in 10 years with two good ears. Okay, let's just pause for a moment and try to imagine wearing one of those sheriff's campaign hats without ears. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the stories of two Florida men, including a guy known as the Naked Cowboy. But first, a word from the sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. This public health crisis has shown our one-size-fits-all education system does not meet the needs of every child. Senate Bill 48 rethinks education and provides needed flexibility for students and families, giving students the tools and resources they need to unleash their potential. You can make a difference and improve our education system by visiting fledreform.com to tell your lawmaker to support SB 48. Paid for by Americans Prosperity, Florida. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, March 8th. Today is International Women's Day and National Proofreading Day. On this date in 1861, St. Augustine surrendered to the Union armies. In 1936, the first stock car race was held in Daytona Beach. In 1948, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that religious instruction in public schools is unconstitutional, something Florida lawmakers forget from time to time. And on this date in 1983, Ronald Reagan publicly referred to the Soviet Union as an evil empire. He was speaking to a convention of the National Association of Evangelicals in Orlando. 
The state health department reported almost 4,100 new cases of COVID-19 Sunday and 66 additional deaths. That is the fewest number of fatalities reported on a single day since the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Our death toll has reached 32,266. The total number of cases is just shy of 1,945,000. Last week, the Miami Herald published a story about a wealthy gated enclave in the Florida Keys where more than 1,200 residents were vaccinated in January while the commoners were struggling to get an appointment. Governor Ron DeSantis responded by attacking the messenger. The Miami Herald article was a train wreck. Um, That was not a site that we were involved in in the Keys. Uh, What that was was one of the South Florida hospital systems uh, went and and went to uh, this community, vaccinated a bunch of seniors. I think that's great. I want seniors to get shots. I'm not worried about your income bracket. I'm worried about your age bracket because it's the age, not the income, that shows the risk. For that article to suggest that somehow that was one of our sites, that's just factually wrong. Okay, it's true the vaccination pod at the Coral Reef Club was not run by the state. But a spokesman for Baptist Health System says the state of Florida asked them to store the vaccine before it was delivered to the medical center at Ocean Reef. And a Monroe County commissioner also confirmed that the state was in charge of vaccine distribution to Ocean Reef. Last week, the governor made a Shakespeare reference during his State of the State message, so allow me to respond in similar fashion. The governor doth protest too much, methinks. Instead of owning up to it, the governor's dangling shiny objects to distract us, like promising to expand the vaccination program that is now limited to people 65 and older. He says it could happen any day now. We're not doing any occupation changes. We're going to do an age-based approach going forward. And so I said that it will happen in March. We will move the age down. I haven't got that exact date because it's dependent on the vaccine supply and it's dependent on making sure we're getting shots in the arms for seniors. But the next change is going to be lowering the age from 65 down to either 60 or 55. Most likely we'll do 60 and then we'll do the next week 55. So stay tuned. That announcement will be coming relatively soon. But that's what we're going to do instead of trying to pick, pick and choose uh, uh, different things. And so if you're, if you're 60, you're going to be able to go. And it doesn't matter what your vocation is or it doesn't matter if you're retired. You're going to be able to go. Then when we do 55, that'll be for everybody who is 55 and up. And if you look at COVID and the statistics nationally, 95.7% of all COVID-related mortality is age 50 or above. And so that's why we did seniors first. And that's why we will lower the age, but we're still going to be focusing on those people who are 50 up because that's the best way to save the most lives. There are exceptions to the senior first policy for healthcare workers, law enforcement officers and teachers. And the governor was in Winter Haven Friday where cops and deputies over the age of 50 were being vaccinated. Polk County Sheriff Grady Judd has a message for the anti-vaxxers spreading conspiracy theories about the shots. I would like to see us get the maximum number of people with a vaccine very, very quick. Now, I know there's some that are waiting back. They're not concerned. They're not sure if it's good. And I've heard the stories and I have read the conspiracy theorists. You know, I've, I've seen everything. We don't know the end results. Oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? In 10 years, will my ears fall off? Well, quite frankly, I'd rather be alive in 10 years with no ears than dead in 10 years with two good ears. So I'm not, I'm not sure what that's all about. Listen to the doctors. Listen to the science. I've not found one physician, one medical doctor yet that I've interacted with that has said anything other than 
get the shot as soon as you can. I got my shot. It was a wonderful thing. And uh, I appreciate everyone that's here today that came here to work. Because when you put shots in arms, ladies and gentlemen, you're helping save lives and protect people from very serious illness. The Florida House of Representatives Friday passed a bill providing broad immunity from COVID-19 lawsuits to businesses. Speaker Chris Sproul says when they pass a bill in the first week of the session, they're trying to send a message. Look, I think that obviously this is a significant piece of legislation, um, but we also, I think what it underscores really is the need. It underscores the severity of the situation, uh, which is we're trying to get Florida back on our feet. And in order to do that, we need businesses to thrive. You know, prior to the, the lockdown that we had, which of course was much briefer than a lot of other states, but prior to that, in my hometown in Pinellas County, the, the sheriff sent out a bunch of deputies to small, small businesses and big businesses, just to kind of do a check to help educate them on what CDC guidelines or, or local DOH guidelines were to protect customers, protect employees. And they found like something like 98%, they did 4,500 businesses, 98% were in compliance. I think that just shows you this is a long time ago. This isn't yesterday. Right? This is the beginning of this thing for these businesses. Businesses want to protect, of course, themselves and their employees and their customers. And that, this, this premise of, of, of this bill is based on that premise, which the vast majority of people are good actors and want to do the right thing. And if they do, given the nature of this situation, we should be you know, providing them every reasonable protection. Opponents of the bill claim it will reward businesses who defy health regulations and fail to protect their customers and employees from COVID because, well, it would have cost them more. But Speaker Sproul says this is not blanket immunity and bad apples are still liable. It's just not true, right? If it was blanket liability, it would be a much shorter bill, right? It'd be one sentence long and provide li you know, blanket liability for businesses across the state. That's not what it does. What it acknowledges in the beginning of the bill is that this is a once in a hundred year global pandemic. The last time that the United States found themselves in this situation, anything comparable to this would have been 1918. So it acknowledges that at the beginning of the bill. And as a result says, look, there's great public necessity here, which is a standard that the Supreme Court would consider, that we need to protect businesses as a result of this situation. So we're going to create a process. Much of the discussion you heard today was about the process. There is no blanket, li uh, blanket immunity for businesses here. What we're doing is protecting folks from frivolous lawsuits. You know, I think it's interesting, this came up on the floor, but some of our colleagues in the minority party mentioned, well, if I went to 10 businesses that day, how could I possibly know, how could the physician possibly know which business I got COVID in? Well, that is exactly the point. That is exactly why we are here. It is exactly why we're passing this bill off the floor in week one of the legislative session because of those 10 business owners, they don't know either. So why should they be dragged into court when they can't defend themselves against something? And look, will, will a judge ultimately dismiss that case? Probably. Will that person ultimately win if they can't prove those things? Probably. But what have you had to do in the meantime? Here you've been struggling during a pandemic, you're, you own a small restaurant. You've been struggling. There's been a period of time where you've been shut down. There's a, a period of time where you can only do takeout. You're in a business that has small margins already. You've already had to lay off employees. Now you have to go out, hire a lawyer at $300 an hour to go defend a case against something where someone couldn't possibly know where they've got it. So that's who the people we're protecting. The people we're not protecting are the people who really engaged in terrible, grossly negligent conduct. And if they did, there's a process outlined in the bill for that person to have a cause of action at the court. 
There is a technical glitch here. The House has two bills, one to protect businesses, the other to protect the health care industry. The Senate also has two bills, but the sponsor, Jeff Brandis of St. Pete, wants to merge them into a single bill. Now, this may slow things down a bit, but it will not stop the drive to limit COVID lawsuits. Another Florida man is busted for Insurrection Day. 28-year-old William Griswold of Niceville has turned himself in to face charges related to his alleged role in the riot and siege at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. He's charged with knowingly entering a restricted building without lawful authority, violent entry and disorderly conduct on Capitol grounds, obstruction of justice, obstruction of Congress, and knowingly engaging in disorderly and disruptive conduct in a restricted building. Griswold's case will be prosecuted by the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia. Your calendar of events is next, along with the story of a New Yorker who became an honorary Florida man after his stunt at Bike Week. But first, a message from the sponsor. In Florida, if you fall behind on court debt payments, the state takes away your driver's license. But if you can't drive, you can't work. So how can you make enough money to pay the debt? This policy makes no sense. Let's end debt-based license suspensions and help Florida get back to work. Welcome back to the Sunrise Calendar. At 10, the House Finance and Facilities Subcommittee takes up a bill preventing freestanding hospital emergency departments from making themselves out to be urgent care centers. The House Regulatory Reform Subcommittee meets at 10 to consider repealing the law that limits the size of wine containers that can be sold in Florida. Also at 10, the House Governmental Operations Subcommittee debates a bill that would change the process for deducting union dues from the paychecks of public employees, making it far more complicated. It's their annual game called Let's Screw with the Unions. The House Democratic co-leader, Evan Jenny of Dania Beach, and State Representative Fentrice Driscoll of Tampa are holding an online media availability at 10. At 1, the House Health Care Appropriations Subcommittee considers a bill that authorizes a program to provide referral services to veterans and their family members for assistance with mental health and substance abuse issues. The House Public Integrity Committee meets at 1 to workshop a bill that would create a public records exemption for information about voters or voter registration applicants. Now, for you newbies, when they say workshop, that means there will not be a vote. At 3.30, the Senate Select Committee on Pandemic Preparedness hears a presentation from Deloitte Consulting, which is under fire for its role in developing Florida's troubled unemployment compensation system. Deloitte was the contractor that built the State Connect online unemployment system that failed in spectacular fashion last year. At 3.45, the House Environment, Ag, and Flooding Subcommittee takes up a wide-ranging proposal to address the effects of rising sea levels due to climate change. And the House Higher Education Appropriations Subcommittee meets at 3.45. They'll consider a bill that would allow high performing students who live outside Florida to pay in-state tuition rates at public universities if their grandparents live here. A street performer from Times Square known as the Naked Cowboy has become an honorary Florida man after being arrested during Bike Week in Daytona Beach. 50-year-old Robert Burke wears nothing more than tidy whities boots and a cowboy hat during his appearances, along with a guitar that is strategically placed to give the illusion of nudity. According to his Facebook page, this was the Naked Cowboy's 21st appearance at Bike Week and the first time he's been charged with aggressive panhandling and resisting an officer. A video of his arrest has been posted on YouTube. Finally today, a Florida man suspected of killing his wife taunted police after they searched his home last month, telling them, at least you didn't find a body. Then, a week later, they did. 66-year-old Roberto Colon is charged with first-degree murder after investigators found the remains of 44-year-old Mary Stella gomez Mule in the backyard of his home in Boynton Beach. She was an immigrant working as a caretaker for Colon's mother, who suffered from dementia, and in exchange, he married her so she could become a U.S. citizen. Police say they had a falling out after he accused the caretaker of stealing thousands of dollars from his mother. 
That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. 